Um, so it's March 29th, uh, Sunday. It's the last day of a seven day stretch in what's now um, become a COVID unit at my hospital. At the beginning of the week, there were about six or seven patients and now there's 20, 19 or 20. Um, quite sick people of all ages. Um, it's exhausting <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's frustrating that you know you want people to get better and it takes a very, very long time to do so. You know, uh, it takes a toll because you're both physically and mentally exhausted and I've snoozed for the last 45 minutes, so I'm running a little bit late, but I'd rather get that 15 minute of sleep um, then, and then take a cab. As governor of New York, I am asking healthcare professionals across the country, if you don't have a healthcare crisis in your community, please come help us in New York now. Probably the last feeling of normalcy and last pictures reflecting that would be a picture of me and my son and my wife in front of the Eiffel Tower. So pre the lockdown and pre the pandemic, my grandmother turned 90 in February. She's Lebanese, she lives between Lebanon and California, and we have cousins all over the world, and we all met in Paris to celebrate her 90th birthday. My name is Hadi Halazon, I'm 39 years old. I'm a cardiologist in New York City. This is my diary, this is my story. You know, one of the tougher parts about this disease is that, you know, many of these um, patients who are the sickest ones are on breathing machines and they're sedated for uh, a very long time. And you never get to meet them, you know, they uh, you never get to speak to them, you never get to know who they are. Um, and that's very difficult for doctors and nurses and anyone who's caring for them. Uh, because, you know, we like to meet our patients. We get to know them when they're in the hospital. And we make it a point to uh, call families twice a day, but I can't imagine being that person on the other end, having to wait for that phone call, never knowing what sort of news you're going to get. Not only are these patients dying alone, but their significant other spouses, sisters, brothers who were around them before they were hospitalized are now on isolation and grieving isolated by themselves. One of the most painful things is um, the separation of their patients from their families. The policies around COVID are such that, you know, family members aren't allowed in and... Um, you know, and I work in ICU where all the patients are sedated and are on breathing machines, so they don't know that their families aren't there, but the families obviously know. And my first patient who died, um, 
you know, we sometimes the death is not very slow. Uh, it can be quite rapid. And uh, we were we had called his wife to come and see him in the last few moments that he was going to be alive. Um, and I just can't imagine. I I actually went back to my office and started crying because you know, it's just not fair. You know, the, 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 like for her. She, you know these are these are the last memories of him and he'd been in the hospital for a week and all she could hear about is his condition over the phone um, and to be called and to, to rush into the hospital or from the waiting room he's probably going to pass in the next 20 minutes and to have those 20 minutes with him I just couldn't I actually couldn't continue watching I, I just was so painful to see that that's the last moment she's going to have with him. Um, I, I don't know how, how she's going to ever get closure um, with this, you know. Uh, and you, you, feel, you almost feel embarrassed as a doctor. We are handicapped by what we were able to, uh, to, be, to offer his wife. And um, it makes you feel a little bit less of a, less of a, less of a doctor, even less of a human in that moment. Um, because it's just not fair. Because of the risk of infection, I am um, staying at an apartment that's not with my uh, with my family, and might have a five-month-old uh, son, whom I haven't seen in a week now. Um, Uh, and it's tough. I'm glad he's not older because at least I know he unlikely feels much of a difference. <laughs> I would hope he does, but at that age, I don't think they, they can tell. So before the pandemic, my average Saturday started quite early uh, with him waking up um, and taking care of him, feeding him and, and so on, um, and spending the mornings with him um, something I would call mornings with Zane. His name is Zane. You know, the majority of the day sort of revolves around things to do with him. But after he goes to sleep at around 6.30 or 7, um, we make it a point to go out uh, once a weekend. And, you know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy going out. I go out um, quite frequently, bars, um, restaurants um, I enjoy dancing so it's a very very active social life um, that um, now uh, is not uh, present <laughs> ICU nurse Michael Korodak is telling us about a son facetiming with his father moments after he died and it was hard he just said Poppy, Poppy, please don't leave me alone in this world. Kordak is offering a chilling warning. Once your doctors and nurses die, you don't stand a chance. If we die, you die. And that is the truth. I just went out to grab a cup of coffee and uh, I uh, heard from a friend of mine who... Um, works at a different hospital, a doctor uh, who 
I heard he got sick, and it just makes it that more real that um, you know we can all get hurt doing this, and it's not something you expect when you become a doctor or any sort of healthcare worker. You know, you you know the sacrifices that you're gonna make. You know, you're gonna miss your friends' weddings and different life events while you train, but to get physically ill is not something that we thought would ever happen. Good evening, and it's great to have you with us here on this Tuesday night as we mark that grim milestone tonight, the deadliest 24 hours yet. New York alone with 731 deaths on a single day. New Jersey... Today was the highest number of deaths in New York City or New York State. But, you know, that should be expected that, you know, the deaths will lag because we're working hard on saving so many people. So I'm more optimistic that the number of admissions is... Is, uh, has come down and, um, and you feel the solidarity and you feel the uh, uh, inspiration in the, in, the, in the ICU when you're there. It's uh, quite remarkable. Just leaving work now. Um, it's been a long week, long day, long year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, um, one thing's obvious. I think the way we practice medicine is going to change because of this. Everybody's just coming together in ways that I've never seen before. It's, you know, people make analogies to war and it feels like it. Everyone's in it together. Everyone's looking for each other's backs. It's beautiful. that New York City and other cities had a seven o'clock clap for healthcare workers. Well, most of us work till 8 p.m., so thank you <laughs> for the clap. We'll try to catch it today if it happens again. Now I get to go home and I have a glass of whiskey, but I'm still not sure when it would be okay to see my son who's five and a half, almost six months old. That's the frustrating part. I don't want to hurt him, but it's tough to be away for for a week or even more. It's sad. So the only times I get to talk to him or see him is through FaceTime, and I don't know. I don't like him looking at screens, but it's the only way that he can see my face and hopefully recognize me. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, I'm uh, calling him. Um, let's see. Once you know, the pandemic peaks and, and moves on. And hopefully people don't forget the efforts the, the, the frontline workers put in and the risks they took to, to, to save them.